0: I'm Max Reaper, editor of Royals Review. Well, we want to have a, a podcast episode following the, uh, the firing of Mike Matheny and pitching coach Cal Eldred, but uh, my travel schedule this week made that a little difficult for all of us to get together, so what we're going to do this week is a little different. I'm going to give my thoughts on the firing um, and the press conference that J.J. Piccolo gave uh, this week to the media, as well as kind of some initial thoughts on, on how, what the Royals might do moving forward. We'll take a quick break, and then uh, Jeremy Greco and Greg Walker We'll have a discussion uh, as well to talk about uh, how they see this off season going. So, um, as far as Matheny, um, you know, it, I think we a lot of us saw this coming. Uh, if you re- listen to some of his post game uh, press conferences or post game comments uh, the last week or so, he sounds like he he knew it was going uh, coming down. Which he, pre- I'm sure, he did. Uh, there, they had meetings last uh, week in Detroit uh, where they almost certainly decided Matheny's fate. Uh, you know, it, this is a game of results, and I don't. You know, bear any ill will towards Mike Matheny. I was, I think, a lot of Royals fans were willing to give him a shot, even though things didn't go very well at the end in St. Louis. A lot of uh, talk about what a what a bad clubhouse that was at the end, how they didn't meet the expectations. But you know, we, people change, and sometimes a manager is is good in one place or bad in one place, and then much better in another. Uh, so I think we were all, most of us at least were willing to give Mike Matheny that chance. And he said a lot of the right things when he was hired. He, you know, he said he was open to analytics, had gone through a certification process online, which in retrospect now maybe looks a little more like uh, he, the, you know, just cover for uh, you know, the bare minimum that needs to be done in, in today's game to understand analytics. But, you know, he kind of said the right things. He had, he had an upbeat attitude. Um, he had a better relationship with the media than he had in St. Louis. It seemed like, Uh, He perhaps was a changed man, and maybe he was, but ultimately this is a game of results. And although they made some progress in his first season, um, it it, it really came uh, to a thud this year with 65 wins and 97 losses for a team that, by their own internal uh, projections at least, uh, was expected to be close to a 500 team now maybe that wasn't fair you know i know zips had them much lower at, at 70 wins going into this year and maybe it was unrealistic to expect these players to take a step forward or, or, or there to be enough depth on this roster to actually be a 500 team but and you know, ultimately like i said managers are kind of judged by their results and and really what well, you know my takeaway from the mike Matheny era is, is it's really it's really bland i mean he just it's hard for me to work up any positive or negative feelings about him as a manager i mean he 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 was fine his lineups were a little head-scratching at times but um not really out of whack with what a lot of other managers do yes he played hunter dozier too much um, but hunter dozier is a veteran i think that's pretty common for managers to kind of rely on veterans he did have a little bit of a track record i mean dozier was a good hitter at one point um i, I think it probably did make some sense to see, you know, give him an extended look to see if maybe he could bounce back. But, um, but I'm not going to hammer Matheny too much over that. Um, you know, playing Ryan O'Hearn, you know, it's not necessarily up to Matheny to keep him on the roster. If you're going to keep him on the roster, you got to play him once in a while. I don't have a big problem with that. I think he was a little open-minded about um, batting guys like MJ Melendez leadoff, who would not be a kind of old school, traditional leadoff hitter. I think it was worth trying. and We'll see what they They continue to do that going forward. I thought his bullpen management was a little more creative than we've seen um, out of, uh, you know, guys like Ned Yost or even uh, further back, um, which I think you need to be, I think you need to be flexible with bullpen management this year, uh, these days. Um, And I, I think we saw some of that, which is good. Um, I don't think he had a lot to work with. I mean, Scott Barlow has been solid, but other than that, they've had relievers that are overworked um, and have been ineffective at times. Um, So, uh, I don't know that you know the bullpen woes are necessarily his fault. That being said, you know he, I don't think he was a bad manager, but I don't know what he brings to the table either. Like, he was not a good manager either. I mean, he, like I said, he, he said he was open to analytics, but he, like you know, it seemed like the bare minimum that you need to know about analytics. And we really need to be an organization that is kind of at the cutting edge, and need, we need someone who's uh, excellent at integrating what the front office wants to do with the analytics department wants to do with what the on-field staff can execute. Uh, and some managers are excellent at that and can, can work execute that game plan. Um, Mike Matheny, I think uh, I, I, I don't know exactly, but it doesn't seem like the Royals are exactly cutting edge in that department right now. Um, maybe that's not Matheny's fault, but I don't know what he brings to the table in that regard. Um, I, I don't – I think. alternatively, another manager's uh, – one of a manager's uh, responsibilities is kind of managing that clubhouse. Um, and I don't see any evidence that he's an, an exceptional leader or a guy that can really rally the troops. The clubhouse did have a really bad vibe, I think, in the first half. And it did get better in the second half. But I think a lot of that was the personnel kind of getting some of the veterans who probably didn't want to be here but didn't want to go through the losing, um, getting them out of here and bringing in some young players who are hungrier, uh, you know, glad to be in the big leagues, but also have, have a better attitude. Aren't as maybe jaded at this point in their careers. Uh, certainly getting a, a, a big personality like Vinny Pascantino is going to help your clubhouse. So, you know, how much does Matheny play into that? I don't know, but I, like I said, I don't think he's bringing anything really to the table and, you know, considering his experience in St. Louis, maybe he was better than he was with the Cardinals, but you know, he's a guy that's had a reputation, not having good clubhouses. Um, and I don't think he necessarily improved on that in Kansas city. So, you know the Mike Matheny era is over. I, I don't think we'll really look back at the era with with uh, with really many memories at all. I mean, the, some of that's the pandemic we just didn't get to know him very well because reporters were kept in at arm's length a little bit. I mean, some of it frankly was because the the beat writers for the Royals during the Matheny era were young, uh, kind of new to the new to the uh, profession uh, or at least new to the Royals uh, writers who maybe didn't get the chance to to get to know Matheny that well. Um, so I don't ever, I never really get the feeling we got to know him and, and what he did and what his relationship was like with players or front office or these other coaches. But, um, so, you know, it'll be a pretty forgettable era of, I think Royals baseball. Um, you know, my, the only, when I think of Mike Matheny, the only thing I really think of is him just kind of staring out with a blank stare at his pitcher as, as he walks another batter, <laughs> and uh, you know, it didn't seem like he was a very fiery manager, which you don't need to be. But um, I, like I said, I just don't know what he bring to the table. Uh, and, and, and ultimately uh, you know, it, it's, it, it was time to move on. I think was, as JJ Picola put it, you know, there were some good things that were, were progressing, but um, it was time to make a change. And I think JJ Picola made the right move. And, and look, I, I think this is this, it was clearly JJ Piccolo's team now. I don't think Dayton Moore makes this change. I think Dayton Moore would have trusted the process and say, well, this is a setback, but we believe in, in Matheny and probably would have gone into next year with Matheny as his manager. And maybe if they get off to a slow start, you know, maybe John's when John Sherman steps in, or maybe Moore finally uh, says it's time to go. But um, I don't think Matheny would have been fired this year. Had Dayton Moore really been in charge. Um, you know, uh, the, Piccolo did address the media in uh, this Thursday uh, and I'll get to some of his comments about the off season here in a minute, but he did say that they would be keeping uh, the hitting coaches, Alex Zumwalt, Keone Dorena, Mike Tozar, who were implemented once Terry Bradshaw was fired uh, back in uh, early in the spring. Uh, I was a little surprised by that. I thought Zumwalt, um, they, they keep talking like he's a very valuable member of the, of the organization who might be better suited for the front office and kind of overseeing kind of large systematic uh, development. Um, so having him in a hitting coach role is a, a little interesting. It seems like something more, maybe more for Dorena or Tozar, but, um, and I don't know, they haven't really spelled out the roles, So, uh, but he did say that they are kind of keeping them on um, as they were. So my assumption is that they'll kind of continue as they did in the second half, which they got good, pretty good results, I think out of the young players. So I don't have any, uh, any objection to that. Damon Hollins will stay as first base coach. A um, little interesting. I, I think I, I like Hollins. I, th- I respect him. I, um, I, I remember I posted an article once that he was going to be the first base coach and, uh, I, I was surprised at uh, the reactions from players. Players actually reacted to that and said, Hey, that's great. Holland, you know, Hollins is a terrific coach. So it seems like he, maybe he connects at least to some players pretty well. Um, I don't know the first base coach is, you know, what exactly what he does. Um, I, I, I imagine he works a lot with, with base running, uh, probably works a little bit on, you know, with guys on defense as well. Just another guy to help out. So if he, uh, if he's the one that can help out the players and that's great, I don't know that I have strong feelings one way or the other about Damon Hollins though. Uh, but it is interesting. They said, uh, Piccolo was less committed on John Mabry, who does, he's kind of an undefined coach right now. And Larry Carter, the bullpen coach, um, which probably means they're fired if he's not going to commit to them. But, you know, I, it is interesting that he even committed to to having Hollins stick around and and Zumwalt, frankly, and Zumwalt and Duran and Tozer. Not that I expected them to fire uh, the hitting coaches, but, you know, if you're going to bring in a new manager, you may want some flexibility in case that manager wants to bring in his own guys. Um, And so to commit that early to to personnel was a little interesting. Yeah, they can always change roles later. I mean, it's not like they're, you know... Uh, stuck and have to keep Hollins permanently. Uh, but uh, I would think you'd want some some flexibility. And maybe that's a discussion they have with the next manager. Uh, another, uh, you know, personnel commitment they, they mentioned was uh, Paul Gibson, who uh, oversees the minor league pitching development. He's going to stick around. Uh, a little surprising uh, just because, you know, the minor league pitching development hasn't been great. Uh, so, uh, and I don't know what Gibson, you know, there's been a lot written about what Gibson has done. Uh, so perhaps they feel like there are, systems in place that um, there are things in place that can give them success. I do get the sense that there was a little bit of a um, kind of a battle, you know, not, not a you know, hostile battle, but you know, there are two camps I think in the front office, there's the Dayton Moore camp that kind of does things more old school and, and believes in, 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 building, you know, good fathers and, and good personalities, good people. And then there's kind of the new wave of, of, of JJ's guys, I would say who are, wanting to use more data-driven results or willing to be more transactional or wanting to uh, kind of bring the Royals into the 21st century. And I think Gibson is probably in that latter category. I mean, I think the fact that he sticks around means that he's in that latter category. And perhaps he was running up against Dayton Moore in some of his work, and perhaps that's why we can't necessarily judge what he's done on the pitching development side fairly. Uh, I hope that's the case. I kind of want to believe that. Um, So we'll see. Hopefully that's not a mistake keeping him on. There was a an article in the Athletic. Andy McCullough, who's back, uh, I guess, temporarily filling in as beat reporter while uh, they fill that role after the departure of Alec Lewis. But he did write that uh, there are word, there's word that there's going to be an overhaul of the pitching development system. Now, I think a lot of people thought that meant, um, you know, that Paul Gibson might be uh, gone, but um, I, you know, he is going to stay. But I think I do think there, we will see a lot of other changes. Um, I think you'll see them. Hire guys from other organizations that, um, that that John Sherman mentioned in his press conference, like the Cleveland Guardians, Tampa Bay Rays, Oakland Athletics, Milwaukee Brewers. I think you will see them add a lot more talent there. Um, I do, you know, like uh, Piccolo mentioned at one point uh, in that athletic article a few weeks ago that they don't have anyone that's an expert at pitch design. Uh, which is something a lot of other teams have have utilized so uh you know they, they some of this is they they, they do need to overhaul the, the the pitching development but that doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of Paul Gibson um they they did uh uh dismiss Jamin Simon Tachi who was a pitching coordinator and i would expect we'll see some more changes as uh they go through this uh, off season But I think what most Royals fans are concerned about is who's going to lead this team as manager next year. Uh, They did, uh, Piccola did mention that there will be two internal candidates. Uh, One will be bench coach Pedro Gofal, who is pretty well respected throughout the game. Uh, He has interviewed for uh, the manager job in San Francisco and Detroit previously. He is rumored to be a candidate for the Marlins managerial opening right now. Um, And uh, I think the Royals considered him for the opening when yet Yost retired and Yost retired as well. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, like a lot of players uh, seem to like, uh, you know, he's bilingual. He can connect with uh, the, the Latin American players uh, who are Spanish speaking. Um, he, uh, he, he's been m- mentioned as a con- like a, kind of a connector between the analytics department and the on-field staff. So that seems to kind of fit with what the Royals are looking for a little bit. Um, on the other hand, you know, he's been with this organization for a decade now, um you know he remember he was unceremoniously fired as a hitting coach at one point in 2014 um so you know perhaps he you know the royals may feel like it's just time to move on like he's a talented guy who may have some other um uh teams looking at him and, and maybe they just say you know what you you've got some better opportunities elsewhere let's let's just kind of part ways and and, and do what's best for both of us um I, I i i do think a little consider him but i i don't know the fact that Sherman is talking about um, these other organizations that he like wants to emulate makes me think they're going to go outside the organization. I think you're going to see a lot of guys, uh, a lot of hires from other organizations uh, as a, as the a Royals try to kind of catch up with what other teams are doing. So I think Griffal Griffal will be considered, but I don't. I think these are kind of more um, token. Seems like a bad word, but kind of like we'll give you the courtesy of um, of giving you a, a, a an interview. Um, but I don't see Graffal getting the job. Vance Wilson was a, a curious. They also said they're going to. They, they would consider Vance Wilson, the third base coach, as a as a uh, potential managerial candidate, which is a little more curious. I know Vince. You know Wilson did come up through the minors uh, as a as a manager for the Royals in the in their system, and he did a good job. I heard a lot of good things actually. A lot of people uh, when he was manager at Northwest Arkansas were telling me what a great job he was doing, that he was future a future managerial candidate. Um, so you know the fact that he was a I think uh, a, a third base coach who received a lot of criticism this year for kind of being overly aggressive. Uh, the Royals were third this year in outs at home in baseball. So that's not a glowing uh, a testimonial for him, but the managerial position is, is a lot different than the third base coach. And, and so I don't know if that necessarily will say much about what he is like as a manager, but, um, but I, I, again, I think this is more of a courtesy, more of a get his name out there so that you know to help his career a little bit. Because I don't know that they'll necessarily retain him as a third base coach next year, um, so that'll be up 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 in the air a little bit. But I do expect them to go outside the organization uh, as far as names. I, I don't think they're going to bring bring in, a, bring in a big name. I, you know, some people I've already talked about like Ron Washington or Joe Madden. You know, those guys are older than Ned Yost. They're not going to want to walk into a a situation like this, a rebuild where uh, it's going to take a couple of years really to get the team back into uh, back into contention mode. Um, I think you're going to see you're you're probably going to see more like a an up and coming younger younger uh, manager who is going to be well versed in analytics. And you know Joe Madden has worked with analytics teams before, but has kind of disparaged uh, how they've been used more recently. Which I, I think he's still open to analytics, but um, you know he may push back on some of the ways that they're integrated right now. So I don't know if he'd be necessarily be a good a uh, good fit for what the Royals are looking for. Um, so I think you're looking more kind of up and comers. I think the two names that are kind of the hottest names, they got a lot of interviews last year, didn't get hired, but I would expect the both of them to, uh, if not get hired, get strong consideration at a lot of places. Uh, one is Joe Espada, the Houston Astros bench coach. He's been with that team for a few, year, few years now, worked with the Yankees before that. Um, certainly, you know, that's a team that I think you'd like to emulate, at least in their analytics and how they Developed players, not necessarily in their <laughs> moral <laughs> uh, ethics, but uh, Espada, you know, he's been been with that team, uh, worked under Dusty Baker. So there's some, ta- you know, there's some question on whether, you know, Baker is going to retire this year. Um, he Espada would probably be the guy they turn to to replace him. So he may not leave Houston, but if he is available and willing to come to Kansas City, I think he'd be a great fit. Uh, someone that's been pretty well versed in analytics has some experience as a hitting coach before, so he could be very helpful uh, working with those young hitters as well. Um, uh, not so much on the pitching side necessarily, but uh, but he he would be a good fit, I think. The other name is Matt Quatraro, the bench coach for the Rays. Um, a, a, a guy who uh, you know has worked with a very successful organization in Tampa Bay, also has managerial experience, which is good as a minor league manager. So uh, you know, I think he's a guy that. Uh, could, if he can bring over what they've done in Tampa Bay and bring it to Kansas City, uh, I think—I mean, I think that's exactly what you're looking for, right? You want someone who, who kind of brings that Rays way to Kansas City, and uh, he's a guy that's kind of learned under Kevin Cash. You know, he's in the—he's been in the World Series. Um, I, I think that'd be uh, what you—what you what you'd kind of be looking for out of a manager. So those are kind of the two hottest names, I think. Um, other names, Clayton McCullough is already a name that's come up. John Morosi reported the Royals were interested in him. He's a Dodgers first base coach. Um, he's he's already interviewed for a couple manager jobs last year. So he's a guy that's going to be in some demand. His father, Howard, uh, is a scout with the Royals. So there may be some connection there as well. Uh, but he'd be a candidate. Uh, Mike Schilt, who <laughs> replaced Matheny once before uh, as manager of the Cardinals uh, and was kind of surprisingly let go last year. Uh, since then, he's been working uh, on the Padres' coaching staff, but um, he's a guy that's had some success as a major league manager. Um, uh, you know, so I don't know if the Royals want to go in that direction because um, they they did say that it doesn't matter if the if the the manager uh, uh, next manager has any experience. But uh, if you're looking for someone that does have experience and has had some success, uh, and certainly the Cardinals are another organization you'd like to emulate as far as player development and, and pitcher development, um, they certainly seem to just be able to get guys from their organization come up and have success immediately. So Schulte would be kind of an interesting name to watch. Um, uh, it seemed like he took the, the firing pretty hard in St. Louis and would like to get back into managing. So uh, maybe perhaps Kansas City would be a good fit there as well. Um, other names, uh, Will Venable might be a name to watch. I, I kind of like him. He's a guy, he's, he's worked with two very stat uh, uh, oriented teams of the Cubs and the Red Sox. He has a pretty good reputation. Um, he's filled in, I think on a, on a, uh, as manager when Alex Cora was out with illness So he has at least managed games before. Uh, He's a pretty young guy, but he, uh, you know, obviously with the Red Sox being so analytically analytically minded, he'd be uh, a guy that can maybe uh, take that over to Kansas City as well. Um, uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. uh, I don't know that he gets a lot of uh, mention these days. Uh, He was, it seems like everyone was considering for a job, maybe six, seven years ago. So I don't know if maybe, uh, you know, teams are kind of passing on now because they don't feel like he's, he's uh, as hot of a candidate anymore, but he's someone that John Sherman would know from his days in Cleveland. Um, He, he he has managed before he filled in for Terry Francona in 2020 when Francona was out with health issues, managed 46 games that year. Um, So he has led a team. They actually did really well under his guidance and made the playoffs. Um, So he has technically has postseason managing experience as well. So, um you know he's a guy that you know comes from a good baseball family uh was an all-star catcher um uh, so he may be a good good player to work with the, the pitching staff and also the catchers uh and and defenders as well um so he there you know he could be an interesting candidate as well so there there'll be a lot of other names uh we can get more into it as um as kind of rumor the you know rumors and candidates start popping up um and I know that others have already kind of written a little bit about that I've got a piece in the works that's going to gonna go a little more in depth into all the candidates that are out there. But, uh, you know, the Royals said they're going to take their time and be kind of deliberative about it. Um, so we'll have to see, um, you know, uh, how the process works and what they're going to be looking for in a manager. But uh, this is going to be a much different team next year. Uh, and it's going to certainly going to start at the top with the manager. Uh, just a few other quick comments about some of the other things JJ Piccolo said. You um, made some interesting comments about kind of the off season about, um, the Royals, I think a lot of fans were expecting that the Royals are going to go out and make a splash in the free agent market because pitching is an obvious need. And, and then John Sherman needs to make a splash to kind of sell the thought of a downtown stadium. If that's what the direction he decides to go. But I think JJ Picole kind of, uh, downplayed that sentiment a little bit, uh, kind of talking about teams that have spent a lot of money and are going to miss the playoffs. Uh, he said, quote, making good decisions is just as important as spending money. I took that and interpreted as uh, they're not going to spend money on this offseason. Now, now they, I'll say this, they're they not going to spend money on free agents this offseason. Now, they can still make some interesting trades. Um, and I think there are opportunities. They're going to have a lot of payroll flexibility next year. I think they have two, $30 million, I think, uh, in obligations to players next year. Most of that's Salvador Perez. Um, so, and they have a lot of arbitration cases. But even those players, a lot of them are going to be non-tendered. Um, so I don't know that they're necessarily going to have – a lot in commitments. I mean, when you have that many rookies on your roster, uh, you're going to pretty, you're on a pretty low payroll, but um, I I don't see them making a big splash on name free agents. I think, and I've made this point, I think on the Royals farm report podcast with Alex Duvall, which you should totally listen to. He had he put together a great kind of Avengers style uh, uh, lineup of different uh, Royals bloggers and podcasters. uh, So do check it out. But uh, you know, I said there, you know, you know, look, John Sherman wants to emulate the rays and the guardians and the athletics. Would any of those teams look at this roster and say, "Okay, let's let's go get some name free agents"? Um, no, they're not going to do that. They're, uh, you know, we can see what the Ran- the Rangers had a bad roster. They added a half a billion dollars in players last year, in Marcus Semien, uh, Corey Seager, and John Gray, and those those players all played pretty well this year. And it's not like they they were busts. And yet the Rangers improved from to sixty eight wins this year. I mean, they're barely better than the Royals. Um, so that's not really a good way to build your team. It's really. You want to develop a good team and then free agents will fill that roster out and get you over the hump. It's like when the Royals were pretty good in 2013 and they got, you know, Jason shield or James shields uh, as in a trade, I guess, but uh, the free agents they got were Jason Vargas, you know, uh, Kendris Morales, Edison Valquez, those guys got them over the top and they weren't huge free agents either, but they were they're You know, the Royals spent some good money on those guys uh, and they got them over the top. You, you want to do that when you already have kind of your roster in place to be a, Close to 500 team, and then the free agents can kind of get you to that next level. The Royals are not at that level yet. They they need to find out what they have in their young players. They frankly still need to find out what they have in the young pitchers. You know, it's, I, I know Daniel Lynch and Carlos Hernandez and Jonathan Heasley didn't have the best year. Um, Jack Carr had an awful year uh, in the minors, but it, I'm not willing to say you know they're they're not going to make it. Uh, I think when you're not if you're not competing this next year, which I don't expect the Royals to compete next year. Um, it's. I think it still makes sense to kind of see what you have in those players, especially if we have a new pitching coach. Um, you know, if you think Cal Eldred is a bad pitching coach, then bringing someone different uh, should net better results. Uh, and, you know, some of that's on the pitchers themselves, too, certainly. But if you think we can bring in a better pitching coach, then let's see what he can do with a Daniel Lynch. Let's see what he can do with a Jackson Coar or, or Carlos Hernandez. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what what uh someone could do with those players but i, I so i don't think they're going to go out and splurge i do think they'll add players i mean i think there's some interesting opportunities to make some big trades um they have some redundancies at positions. so like they have two catchers salvador perez and mj melendez they have two first basemen nick prado and vinny pascantino they have really multiple shortstops they have bobby witt jr if they decide to keep him there and they have edubar if he's still in the picture and they have michael garcia uh, coming down the the pipe uh, they have a couple second basemen, Michael Massey, and then Nick Lofton's kind of pushing, uh, pushing the door. Uh, and then Nicky Lopez too, if you want to consider him part of the mix, uh, they have two center fielders. I think Drew Waters, um, uh, and, and Michael A. Taylor, who I think hopefully will get traded. And even if he does get traded, I think you can probably count Kyle Isbell in the mix. So they can make some trades, uh, and still have a, a lineup, uh, and fill that, uh, you know, make those trades to fill other needs, maybe in the pitching staff, maybe another hitter, um but they have, they can be creative and they can be flexible this off season. I think it's a really good situation for a new general manager like JJ Piccolo to kind of, well, I guess he's not new, but kind of maybe an unfettered general manager to walk into um, because he's going to have the chance. If he wants to really be transactional, he's got a chance to be pretty transactional off season. And, and like I've said, a couple, couple times being transactional doesn't mean, you know, cutting Hunter Dozier because that, that's, that's a no brainer, right? Uh, being transactional means making some hard trades or you trade a guy that's, you know, maybe, maybe ass some talent, and uh maybe you like for the future but um you know it, it you have a redundancy at that position and you want to fill another need and you want to get another player uh and so maybe they they make that hard trade and trade mj melendez for for a pitcher or maybe they trade uh kyle isbell for for a reliever or something like that so uh it will be a really interesting off season uh, i don't expect like i said i don't expect him to be in the free agent talks but I, it's still gonna be a, I think an interesting off season and uh I'm really interested to see what what JJ Piccolo can do. So, those are my thoughts. Um, I'm going we're going to take a break here. When we come back, uh we'll have Jeremy Greco and uh, and Greg Walker to give their thoughts and wrap things up and I appreciate uh, everyone for tuning in.
1: Hello everybody. Uh this welcome to the max free portion of today's episode. Uh I am the, the one of the regular co-hosts, Jeremy Greco, uh aka Hakaeus. And uh, joining me tonight is one of our fellow writers on Royals Review, uh, Greg Walker. Greg, how you doing?
2: Not too bad. It's a pleasure to be a part of this little skeleton crew recording this podcast here uh, without Max. I know he's going to be contributing some kind of part also, but we're going to be doing a little bit of discussion without him. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, the inmates are running the asylum now,
1: right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, No, I've never run a podcast that anyone's ever listened to before so uh, this this is going to be fun uh, so uh, uh, the big thing I think that's on everybody's mind and uh, probably Max has talked about so hopefully we don't duplicate what he said too much is uh, the Royals um, pretty much immediately after the game uh, the final game of the season fired manager Mike Matheny and pitching coach Cal Eldred what uh, did that surprise you at all?
2: yeah, the fact that the paint hadn't even dried in the twenty twenty two season yet before they <laughs> decided to pull the trigger like i was I was in the process of writing today's rumblings last night when the news broke, and i just I was very much caught off guard, but it really tells me I think like the first thing I thought was like this is this is not the same organization that we've been following. Like this is not Dayton Moore's Royals, right? Because they always tended to drag their feet on these kinds of things, like take as long as possible, seemingly giving guys endlessly le- and endless leash. And now with JJ Piccolo's Royals, like, yeah, five hours after the season ended manager gone, pitching coach gone. I mean, I was very surprised. I'm not surprised that it happened. I'm surprised it happened so quickly though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 I I kind of expect, you know, I I said I thought Dayton Moore would get fired, and I said I thought if Dayton Moore got fired, that Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred would not be long for the team either. But the the timing has been much quicker than I expected in in every case. Uh, so I definitely agree with you there. There, JJ Piccolo is ready to move on uh, and put his stamp on this team. Uh, Which uh, is, uh, I think that's exciting, honestly. That, uh, you know, uh, we've had some fears. A lot of people have had some fears that uh, how much is he going to be like Dayton Moore? Well, he's not very much like Dayton Moore so far. Uh, So I think that that's probably a good thing. Uh, Now, he did do a press conference uh, earlier today as we're recording this on a Thursday night uh and and talked about some of those decisions and some of the things that are coming in the future he did let us know that all of the hitting coaches are sticking around uh which is a positive i think we're all pretty happy with how the offense uh went this year uh how it improved especially uh guys like mj melendez and nick prado who were borderline like busts before they even made it to the major leagues and they both made it to the major leagues and had some levels of success now prado of course did get demoted Uh, for, you know, he had some struggles, but he also had some successes, which is more than it seemed like he was going to have even a couple of years ago. Um, and, and also first base coach, Damon Hollins is sticking around. Uh, and then he mentioned Vance Wilson, third base coach and bench coach Pedro Grafol are managerial candidates and that they are going to be casting a wide net for managerial candidates that they're going to come up with some criteria. Uh, they haven't identified anyone in particular yet, uh and and uh, they expect to take the time with this uh so uh, i guess kind of what are your thoughts on that are you do you, do you think vance vance wilson and pedro grafol are are good options out of the the internal options and what what kind of options do you think we should they should be looking at outside uh how do you feel about them saying he's going to take a while
2: well in terms of the internal options I'm not entirely sure how I feel about them because I just, I know a lot of people are saying something like, I want to see a manager that's more analytical or more into the sabermetric kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm not necessarily a big believer in that. I'm not saying I'm not a believer in analytics. I'm saying that I don't believe that's really like that important for a manager. Like for me, the main thing I look for in a manager is. Like, are they a clubhouse guy? Like, how much does how much like respect do they command from the players keeping the clubhouse together? I really think that's the most important thing that a manager is going to do. Like, their bullpen usage and lineup construction isn't going to give you that many more wins. It's really just more about the talent out there. So, in terms of all those guys, don't know. I mean, are they liked in the clubhouse? That's kind of the main thing for me, obviously. Spanish speaking is a plus, but I mean, I think if you're in this kind of position, you probably speak Spanish anyway. I mean, Tony La Russa speaks Spanish, so I think any of these guys probably are already at this point. So if they're well-liked within the organization, I think that's all that really matters. I think, I wonder if some people are going to be upset about Vance Wilson sticking around because of his, uh, some very questionable sense when he was playing third base coach going home this year. I'm not saying he's a bad coach or anything. I don't really know, but at least based on that, not very good. I kind of would prefer to see them go outside the organization, though. I'm not saying there isn't a lot of talented guys, a lot of rising stars kind of within the organization, but I think it helps to get new voices in there in general. So I wouldn't be too opposed to that. I don't have any names off the top of my head, but anybody that's just a good communicator, maybe that's been in an organization, has some kind of success. And you know what? I've seen people saying, like, I want a manager with some managerial experience. I'm not necessarily there. I'm not super opposed to a first-time manager. I mean, Kevin Cash, who I think is, for my money, the best manager in baseball right now, he was a first-time manager when the Rays hired him. Brandon Hyde, AL AL manager of the year this year probably, was also a first-time manager when the Orioles hired him. So I'm not concerned about lack of managerial experience, and I think it maybe could even be a good thing.
1: Yeah, Mike Matheny came to us with managerial experience, and uh, that obviously didn't work out. Uh, it does sound like you and uh, JJ. Picola are kind of on the same page. he He also mentioned that he's not sure. Uh, he said during the 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 press conference that he wasn't sure how many game decisions actually made a difference in whether you lost or win a game. Uh, he, he wants a guy who can communicate. And I, I've always kind of felt the same way, that the biggest thing a manager does is keep the guys going in the same direction, make sure everybody understands what their role is, uh, and, and is content in that role as humanly possible, that everyone's getting along. Uh, which is, you know, one of the reasons I was opposed to Matheny originally was because it seemed very clear that he could not keep a clubhouse going in the same direction. Now, he, we didn't have any rumors of things being quite so bad in Kansas City as they were in St. Louis, but there was that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think I would probably go outside the organization at this point. Pedro Graffol wouldn't bother me. Vance Wilson, it's impossible for me to know how good of a, 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 a manager he would be, but he, you're right. He was, he was kind of a, at least, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I think I agree with you when I say he was a pretty awful third base coach, not
2: very good at deciding whether or not to send runners home. I'll, I'll yeah, say
1: especially that. Hunter Dozier. I feel like Hunter, he, he had a thing <laughs> against Hunter Dozier. He's just like, no, go get thrown out. <laughs> Uh, Take Hunter Dozier's war like that. How rude. <laughs> so uh, if Vance Wilson does not get the manager role, I, I'm not saying fire him, but find him a different position maybe. I think I, I think a new third base coach is also probably in order. Uh, now, they did also talk to JJ about uh, kind of the front office staff as a whole – um, and they mentioned, he mentioned that, uh, they are keeping pitching pro, uh, coordinator, Paul Gibson mm-hmm. will be on, on staff, uh, but uh, they, they could have some turnover in other places he did mention that he felt that it was that they're gonna kind of look and see and make choices about where they need to make changes they're gonna really examine uh, everybody where they might want to make changes or additions and he, he implied that he thought they were more likely to make additions to the front office than necessarily changes so what's how do you feel about that where, where do you where do you come down on that do you think that if they just add more people to this front office that that's going to be enough or do you think that that uh, some more changes, some some more more guys need to go, other than just uh, you know the the manager and the pitching coach.
2: I'm not necessarily opposed to that idea. Obviously, I am not embedded enough within the organization to be able to name people in the front office right now, and I'm like, they really need to go. The main thing I was thinking coming into the offseason in terms of personnel beyond just Mike Matheny and Cal uh, Eldred was they need to find some way to revamp their kind of pitching dev staff, which, as you mentioned, Paul Gibson is going to be sticking around, and he's kind of the head of all that. And so not necessarily thrilled with that, but at the same time, he hasn't been with the organization for that long. Like, they, quote, revamped their pitching development at the same time they did with with their hitting development, like, a few years ago. And it just hasn't really panned out quite as well as Drew Saylor and uh, Alex Zumwalt and all of them have done with the hitting. So, it's hard to say. I mean, they already offloaded Jason Simitachi. He was a pitching coordinator within the organization. He's gone now. So I can see some more changes coming like that, but this probably is going to be the end of like those kind of high level, you know, big ticket sort of changes. So from there, if you just want to add personnel to the front office, get new voices in there, kind of figure out different ways to do things. That's fine. I don't think they necessarily need to offload anybody else because really like, at least from our perspective, from where I'm sitting, the people that needed to be gone at this point, I mean, they are.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, the the other big thing is that, did, you know, how many of these front office staff guys do we know? Do, do we know their names, much less what they're responsible for? So it's hard for me to say, yeah, that guy should lose his job for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, and I think, if we're going to trust that JJ Piccolo, who has been with this organization for a very long time is able to kind of turn over a new leaf and become more analytically minded. Um, he seems to really be driving behind that, that, you know, they need to get the data in the hands of the players and, and and collaborate with the players better to make sure that they have everything they need to have a positive and growth growthful. uh, is that a word experience within the organization? Um, so, I think we're headed in the right direction. Uh, it, and like, it's just really hard for me to to point to anyone in the front office and be like that guy, that guy should be gone. Uh, is, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, JJ Piccolo's uh, he's very definitely in a better position. So hopefully he's making uh really good choices with that position.
2: I'm and, looking through their staff directory, trying to find somebody that I think needs to go. And I'm just thinking in general, like, okay, well, what, what changes need to be made? I'm thinking ballpark operations need to change because we need cheaper parking and we need better concessions. (laughs) So, let's see. Vice President of Ticket Operations, Anthony Blue. So, I think they need to uh, consider making a change there. Uh, Isaac Riffle, Vice President of Ballpark Operations, need to uh, consider that. And, uh, oh, Steve Physiok needs to go. That's my other Uh, one. Get rid of Physiok.
1: I... I, I don't know, I think this was before your time, but there was one off-season where I spent the entire off-season reading his historical fiction romance novel.
2: Oh, if it was uh, since and, 2016, and I remember that.
1: Yeah, reviewing that. And and my takeaway, uh, which I did not expect at the start, was that he should do that. That should be his day job. Uh, just go write historical romance fiction. He's actually not bad at it. Uh where's much worse space... than he is
2: at broadcasting a baseball
1: cave. Exactly. Uh, all right, so I guess kind of the final big thing on my mind as we're as we progress to the offseason is Royal. Uh, he. he JJ McColo said that they're not really going to make any roster moves uh, until probably after they have a manager and a pitching coach and, you know, figure out the rest of the, the coaching staff, which they're apparently going to do after they hire a manager, which makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, usually hire a pitching coach or most of the coaching staff until you have a manager. Um, but then uh, he he says they do, you know, they're they're paying attention to free agency to trade market still. And the, the, they hope to be ready when that all comes up after the World Series. Uh, he did kind of imply that while John Sherman, uh, he he implied John Sherman stands ready and willing to spend money as necessary, but that he wasn't sure that this off season, uh, made the most sense for when to do that. Uh, he also said, uh, that, and this is, this is the quote that, um, out of everything he kind of said tonight, this is the one that kind of bothered me a little bit. Uh, he said, we thought we were going to compete when we went out and got Santana, uh, Miner, and Benintendi. So that's Carlos Santana, uh, Mike Miner, and Andrew Benintendi. And he says, now it's going to take a while. And my first reaction to that is, was, was the team that much better two years ago without those guys than it is now without those guys? Uh, let me throw that to you. Do you think that the 2020 Royal or excuse me, the 2022 Royals are – Better or worse, bef- minus Santana, minor Benintendi than the 2020 Royals, minus those three guys?
2: It's It's really hard to say that they are. Now, part of that is just the fact that so much of the roster we saw down the stretch was a bunch of guys making their big league debuts, so it was hard to have a ton of confidence in that. But at the same time, it's hard to look at that roster and also see, oh, but they're all going to be much better this next year in 2023 because... I mean, that was kind of the hope coming into 2022, right? Is so that the young pitching would all take a step forward and we'd get the rookies up and they would help boost the offense. And none of those have happened, really. I mean, the rookies have come up. The offense was still not good this year. I mean, guys like Santana and Benintendi obviously didn't help. The offense still wasn't good. So, look, they're kind of in a weird spot right now. Like you said, they are hesitant to spend, although they could. And I can kind of understand that because – They just have more holes right now than could be fixed possibly through spending money and through free agency. But at the same time, I really do think they need to go out and get a starting pitcher or two because the rotation options for next year, I mean, they are not looking good unless you believe in Daniel Lynch or Chris Bubich or anybody way more than I do.
1: Uh, I probably do believe in those two guys more than you do. I believe in those two guys more than Probably anyone outside of the Royals organization, I am a, I am a big Chris Bubich stan, and I will remain such until you know he's drummed out of the league for incompetence. Uh, and, and Daniel Lynch, I think, has got a lot going for him. That said, I tend to agree with you. They, there's a lot of innings to eat. Guys get hurt. Uh, one of the, one of the miracles to me of 2014 and 2015 was how few injuries that those two teams suffered to their starting pitching. Because if they had lost uh, in 2014, if they lost, you know, James Shields for any length of time, they had no one who could replace him, and it would have been a disaster. Um, a- a- and I feel like the same could be said for Edinson Volquez uh, and and maybe a couple other guys in 2015. If they'd lost them for any length of time, they would have been in really big trouble. Uh, so these young guys, they're they're not innings eaters, at least not yet. Uh, so it it makes a lot of sense to me to at least, you know, go out there and get somebody who can, who can pitch some of these innings. Um, I, the frustration for me is that when I read that quote that I mentioned earlier is that, yeah, there's, there's a lot of doubt going into next year. There's a lot of young guys, uh, who haven't proven it yet, but I feel like they didn't have, they didn't even have that in 2020. They had Alex Gordon. They had, uh, Jorge Soler and Hunter Dozier coming off bad years. Uh they're coming of, off career years in 2020. Were, that were was they, the optimism. But they were but were they good in 2020 or were they good in 2019? I'm trying. Oh, they were good in 2019. Okay, sorry. Okay. So that maybe that's where that optimism comes from is that they're like, "Oh, yeah, these guys are going to be great." And now we just got to add these two pieces. But they also let Joe Franco that year. Yeah but they also they added 30 36 year old carlos santana 35 year old mike miner these guys were past their prime they were not the the hump jumpers that we needed to 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 push the royals into playoff contention um so i hope that this does not signal that you know maybe in a couple years everyone is kind of really established all these maybe all these rookies are established and they're doing you know at least league average stuff i don't want to see them go out and get the next carlos santana and mike minor be like okay now we're going i want to i want to see them go out and get some good free agents um but i guess we'll have to wait and see on that one
2: jacob de is a free agent this year oh. get it done john sherman
1: I, the, the, talk about talk about another guy to throw on the IR the IL whatever it is.
2: Well, okay, if we we're if we're serious about competing next year, let's sign Aaron Judge, sign Jacob Degrom, sign Carlos Rodon, and we're in. We're good to go.
1: I I, I can almost <laughs> believe that you, uh, did, you did
2: mention with those fourteen and fifteen World Series runs that. the the players in in general like not even just the pitchers just the rosters in general were impossibly healthy like both of those years and those runs do not happen otherwise because there was no depth on those teams at all and eventually probably over the offseason I'm going to write something that says along the lines of stop comparing this to 2014 and 15 because these windows are not the same and is that really what we're trying to replicate is two good years and then nothing we're just trying to do that again
1: yeah, I, I I have long been on the train of the Royals got lucky in 2014 and 2015. Not like pure luck, but there was a lot of luck involved, including the health, uh, which was actually one of my proudest articles was I wrote was about uh, the health of the teams. I think I wrote it in 2016. I wrote about how healthy the 2014 and 2015 teams were and uh, professional baseball writer Craig Calcaterra. Uh, referred to my article, uh, in one of his articles, and I was like, oh my gosh, somebody, somebody who actually makes money at this is paying attention to me. Uh, so that's that's all that Max had for us. It looks like that we really needed to talk about. So you, for the for, for I, I guess I just wanted to have like a general off season talk, but we kind of covered that. You said, you know, you want to go out and get a couple pitchers. I think a couple pitchers makes sense. I, I wouldn't be opposed to some a hitter or two, you know, just to provide competition. Uh, as like a bounce back candidate kind of guys, I wouldn't go out and spend big on hitters any disagreement there. I think they
2: probably could use an outfielder. Like they, I know there is some pieces, some young guys that we think like, okay, well maybe they're a part of the future. Like maybe Drew Waters can hold down center field. Maybe Edward Olivares can be a good piece. If he's finally staying in the majors, not shuffling between AAA and the majors every other week. But it's hard to have a ton of confidence with those. So if they added an outfield bat, especially if it were a center fielder, I mean, I would not be opposed to that. I mean, if they go out and get like a a Brandon Nimmo, bring back Andrew Benintendi or something, I don't know. But there's there's definitely options. I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in a bat, but I do think if they are going to go into free agency, some like starting pitching is probably the biggest need.
1: The outfield is a really weird situation, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more as the offseason goes along, but I I wrote uh, in an article last week, that they basically have they have two outfielders who can field, and they have two outfielders who can hit, and, and the, the two the two groups do not uh, the the Venn diagram does not cross, so it's like do you want to hit or do you want to field? And uh, as I was kind of way too early predicting the lineup, I said we'll go ahead and put the guys who can hit in the lineup, and then when you get late in the game, you swap in your defenders. Um, so yeah, the outfield makes sense, even though I I'm. I'm excited about all four of those guys in different ways. Uh, It it makes sense to try and find someone who can field and hit uh, as opposed to just one or the other. Uh, So I guess let's go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Unless you have anything else you want to throw out there before we, we get to the Royals review reviews.
2: Well, my pipe dream of signing Aaron judge and Jacob Degrom is out there now. I hope John Sherman makes it happen. I'm not holding my breath though.
1: Do you have a World Series prediction while we're here?
2: Oh, I do. So my, my preseason one was actually Jays over Brewers, and that one's no longer possible. So mm-hmm. I decided, you know what, I just, I, if I want to go chalk, then I would say like either Dodgers or Braves over the Astros, but I'm just going to throw something out there that's going to be wrong instead. I'm going a Jays over Padres in six. Although I could, I'm going to hang my hat on in our preseason prediction thread, I am the only one that was right on our best pitcher and our best hitter, which are Brady Singer and Bob Wood Jr. So I'm going to take that one to the bank.
1: Well done. The rest
2: of my predictions didn't go so hot.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna go with for the World Series. I'm gonna go with the Mariners. I, I can't remember. I we had this article the roundtable earlier today, and I pick. I know I picked the Mariners because I just I just want the Mariners to win. Uh, I'm just ready for that to happen. Uh, and, and I can't remember. It doesn't really matter who they beat at this point to me. <laughs> Just Mariners over somebody in the NL. Let's just make that happen. Let's uh, do in seven games. Why not? Let's let's add some tension to it. I would like to um, see a team that hasn't
2: won before win it. So either San Diego, Seattle, or Tampa. One of those. That'd be cool.
1: I'm 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 over the Tampa hype. I don't know. I know I'm not alone in that. I, I'm kind of worried about the group that I'm in with when I say I'm over the Tampa <laughs> hype. But I, I am. I'm I'm tired of Tampa. I'm a
2: big fan of Randy Rosarana, and he's the best postseason hitter ever. So I if they get here, it's going to be him.
1: That's fair. I don't have anything against the players. It's just something about the organization doesn't doesn't feel right to me. All right, right, you, so have, you have good reason for that. So. <laughs> let's go ahead and do our Royals review reviews. I'll uh, let you go ahead and go first tonight.
2: Yeah, so I have been looking for this for a few weeks now, ever since I first saw, became aware of its existence really on social media. This is from the newest uh, Voodoo Ranger variety pack from New Belgium Brewing Company. I have the Danger Beach IPA, which is brand new, had not been released until a few weeks ago. And so I had to naturally try it because I try every single Voodoo Ranger that exists, basically, because they just don't miss. And similarly this one doesn't miss i figured it would have some kind of tropical vibes to it given that it's called danger beach and it does but it's, i definitely wouldn't describe it as fruity, because it is balanced out by kind of just the right amount of hops so that i wouldn't even really describe it as bitter but it's just not super fruit forward it's a pretty good balance between both of them so that new pack came with this one it also came with a new one that's called the voodoo ranger vice and there is a vote going on which, of which one to keep and so i need to try the other one now And then, you know, contribute to democracy through
1: that. uh, I'm not much of a beer drinker, but Danger Beach does have kind of a ring to it. Yeah, it really does. As The audience can't see, but uh, we're video chatting. So I see the can is orange, which happens to be my favorite color. So I'm going to have to maybe investigate this Danger Beach stuff because if I'm going to drink a beer, it might as well be called Danger Beach. That's for sure.
2: Oh, absolutely. The camera reminds me of uh, the TV show Archer when I look at it. That's the way I describe it.
1: Huh. Very nice. All right. So my Royals review this week, Royals review reviews. Uh, I don't, there's too many words there. I'm confused now. Uh, this week is going to be, as I say, there's too many words. The Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky SC, uh, which is the sequel to obviously trail the Legend of Heroes Trails in the Sky um, and the s c stands for second chapter, but no one ever says second chapter. They always say s c. Um, and it's basically the second part of a story that really needs to be taken as a whole in order to be a whole to to get the whole thing. Um, you know, a lot of sequels, it's like you could watch Star Wars and if you never watched Empire Strikes Back, you wouldn't feel like there were there, all the threads were tied up at the end of Star Wars. But uh, at the end of Trails in the Sky, there were a lot of dangling threads, and they're pretty much all covered in in uh, s c. Um, it's a game. It's a 10, 20, 15, 20-year-old 20 RPG at this point. Uh, it's uh, got really strong and interesting characters. And uh, it's, it's got some really cool stuff going on with world building where things happen in the world that you don't even interact with, which is very unusual for video games. Uh, for example, you go to one city and they're having a big election over who's going to be the mayor. And in any other video game, you would have to involve yourself in that election because one of the candidates would be evil. And you got to prove – got to show who the right one is. And in this case, you you don't the, the, the election happens completely without you. Uh, it's happening. You, you go in the city, they're doing their election stuff and then you leave and you come back later and they're like, yeah, we voted for that guy. And you're like, uh, uh oh, okay. Um, so it's kind of cool to just see a world where things just happen, uh, kind of independently of the player. Sometimes we're used to thinking of video game characters as being the center of the world. Um, but even, even in this video game where the player video game character is kind of the center of, of a lot of worlds, they're not the center of every world, um, which I just think is an interesting concept, uh, and does actually carry through with a lot of the series. Um, uh, so I think that's going to be it for us tonight. Thank you so much for joining me, Greg uh hopefully max can edit this t- together into something that will uh, sound reasonable to people uh i've had a great time and uh i'll see y'all next time it was a pleasure good luck max hey!